0: Good morning again. I'm still Ryan Schreckengast, one of the preachers here at GFC. Today we're going to dive into Isaiah 60, which is on page 400 if you have one of the church Bibles. Uh, and I've had three separate people tell me that this is one of their favorite passages in the whole Bible. Um, no pressure, right, to, to preach on that. Um, but the the reason that that is is because today's text is just full of imagery and emotion and power and glory. I completely understand why this is such a beautiful passage. Um, it's a vision of Yahweh making his people beautiful so that together they can draw the nations into the worship of him and to fulfill the destiny that he had for his people from the beginning. As I was trying to think of something in my own life of comparable beauty and purpose, I couldn't help but think of my wedding day. And When Steph came down the aisle, she was stunning, breathtaking. She'd spent hours doing all of the mysterious and arcane things that women do, uh, <laughs> all for me, so that her beauty would be Radiant. But even more than her physical beauty, that day, to us, was about purpose. It was about embarking on a life together, serving the Lord. And there were countless ways that our wedding day was already a start of that purpose. There were friends who attended from across the country and around the world. The good news of Jesus Christ was proclaimed by my dad, who was officiating, We worshiped together, Steph and I as a couple, along with our friends and our family that God had so abundantly blessed us with. We even had a Filipino ceremony of dedication, of submission, Steph to me and both of us to the Lord. It was beautiful in every way and it was purposeful and it was, by the grace of God, just a small, small picture of God's glory. Today, we're going to see a similar picture, not of a wedding, but of a glorious family, a glorious, beautiful city, and of a God who keeps his promises to redeem his people. In today's text, we're going to see four revelations of this glory. First, Yahweh raises a light in the darkness. Then the children of Abraham unite in the worship of Yahweh. Then the nations of the world unite in the worship of Yahweh. And lastly, we see the holy city of Yahweh. So let's start by reading Isaiah 60 verses 1 through 4 and see Israel, the light that God raises in the midst of darkness. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And the nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around, and see... They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. What a beautiful promise of the future of God's people, Israel. Verses 1 and 2 set for us a stark contrast of the state of the world and the state of God's redeemed people. The entire earth, in verse 2, is covered in darkness. And thick darkness, the peoples. But God's people will be bathed not in darkness, but in light. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the light is the glory of God. They're no longer conquered by their sin. But they're conquered by God. And they are beautiful. If God has promised it, then it is as good as done. Even if at the time that they received this prophecy, they were still in captivity. But as the result in verse 3 of God's redemption is that the nations come to the light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Israel will finally fulfill the destiny that God spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai in Exodus 19.5. Read that with me. Therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God's plan has never been to just glorify a single people so that they can be set apart for their own glory. He sets them apart so that they can accomplish His will. He shines His glory on a special people so that they can reflect that glory out into a world that is desperate for Him. This is like the light of the sun shining in splendor on the moon so that it can reach even around the planet to the side that is far from God's light. He is making them a nation of priests lifted up and set apart to show His glory. Now to every Israelite, this is an anthem. This is why they exist as a nation. The mission for which they have been set apart. And friends, through the glorious work of Jesus Christ, this is your mission too. If your life has been conquered by Christ, then you are set apart for this holy calling. There is no greater expression of the glory of God than the fact that he has taken us ...who were his enemies... ...lost in darkness... ...hating him... ...and he has shown his light on us... ...and irrevocably changed us. So embrace the purpose... ...for which you have been saved... ...to reflect that glory of God. This means that every part of your life... ...has been given over... ...to the goal of showing God's glory. In your job... You're no longer working only for a paycheck, but to glorify God with the work of your hands. You're no longer raising your family for your own future or your own security, but to reflect to them the love of God. You're no longer trying to just survive family functions with the least amount of strife. But you are showing those that God has placed the closest to you, his glorious work in your life. And the result that we see in verse 4 is that the offspring of Israel grows. They all gather together, sons and daughters from afar, those outside of God's people cannot see the glory of God through his transformed people and remain unchanged. They cannot remain unchanged. This is the promise of God from Isaiah 54, 2 and 3, finally fulfilled, where God tells Israel to enlarge the place of their tent. Do not hold back For you will spread abroad to the right and the left, and your offspring will possess the nations. And the same promise, again, in Isaiah fifty-five five: Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you. Because of the Lord your God, and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. God has always intended that his children welcome in the nations and grow to include them in his blessing. And so the next sections that we will read here prove that by showing the response of those who see the light of God shining from glorified Israel. First, let's look at point number two on your outline as we read verses five through seven, and we'll see the response Of the estranged children of Abraham. Isaiah 65 through 7. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exalt. Because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news. The praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered to you. The rams of Nebaoth shall minister to you. They shall come up with acceptance on my altar and I will beautify my beautiful house. In verse 5, God gives us a taste of the incredible reversal that his glory will accomplish. He promises that the nations will bring great wealth and abundance to Israel. He goes on to list three important things. First, that he lists the nations that will come. Second, he lists the wealth that they will bring. And third, he tells us what will be done with that wealth. So first, let's look at the nations that will come to join with God's people. In Genesis 25, we're given an account of the descendants of Abraham. And all five of these nations, from Isaiah 60, 6 and 7, Midian, Ephah, Sheba, Kedar, and Nebaioth are direct descendants of Abraham, either through his servant Hagar or his wife Keturah. Okay, so what? (laughs) Why does that matter? It matters because these are all the people groups who were specifically excluded from the blessing promised through the line of Isaac. In Genesis 17, God makes his covenant with Abraham. He promises to make him the father of a multitude of nations. And he even changes his name. But when Abraham tried to accomplish this purpose by having a, son through, uh, having a son Ishmael through his servant Hagar, God makes it clear that this was not the way he was going to bless the nations. Genesis 17, 18 through 19 says this. And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. So since the very beginning, we have seen these nations that have been outside of this blessing through the line of Isaac. But God was not going to leave them outside. These descendants are now gathering. They are coming to the nation of Israel. They are coming to be blessed by Yahweh through his appropriate line. And this is like an immense family reunion. Those who are coming are the family that have been estranged. And even feuding for generations. They've literally not been on speaking terms for thousands of years. But here we see in Isaiah 60 that they are coming to Israel. Do you feel a little bit of that tension? Do you wonder what are they actually going to do when they arrive here? They are going to worship Yahweh. Is it any wonder that in Isaiah 65, it says, You shall see and be radiant. Your heart will thrill and exalt. Because God's purposes are coming to pass. We know this because of... Look at what the estranged children of Abraham are bringing with them. In verse 6, they bring a multitude of camels laden down with gold and frankincense. And in verse 7, they bring flocks of sheep and rams. And while these things do represent simple worldly wealth, they have an even greater significance to the Israelite people for their use in the worship of Yahweh. Frankincense was the primary component of the incense that was burned on the golden altar in the holy place of God's tabernacle. Likewise, the sheep and the rams were sacrificed as burnt offerings and sin offerings before Yahweh. These estranged family tribes are not just coming to Israel, but they are coming to worship Israel's God. Verse 6, They shall bring good news, the praises of Yahweh. And friends, the most amazing thing is that at the end of verse 7, we see how Yahweh responds. They shall come up with acceptance on my altar. And I will beautify my beautiful house. God accepts their worship. Those who were excluded are now accepted. Those who were far from God are now brought close. This is the power of God's glory shining through his people. Wow. This is what God is doing. And he's not even done. As amazing as this reconciliation of the children of Abraham is, God goes even further. He doesn't stop there. He's not satisfied to bring only the blood of Abraham into his family. He wants the Gentiles. He wants the whole world to be a part of his blessing. And this is why he draws the nations of the world to himself through Israel, which is the third point that we see. Let's read verses 8 through 16. Who are these that fly like a cloud and like doves to their windows? For the coastlands shall hope for me, the ships of Tarshish first, to bring your children from afar, their silver and gold with them, for the name of the Lord your God and for the Holy One of Israel, because he has made you beautiful. Foreigners shall build up your walls and the kings shall minister to you for in my wrath I struck you but in my favor I have had mercy on you Your gates shall be open continually day and night they shall not be shut that the people may bring to you the wealth of the nations for their kings led in uh, with their kings led in procession for the nation and the kingdom that will not serve you shall perish. Those nations shall be utterly laid to waste. The glory of Lebanon shall come to you. The cypress and the, the plain and the pine to beautify the place of my sanctuary. And I will make the place for my feet glorious. The sons of those who afflicted you shall come bending low to you. And all who despised you shall bow down at your feet. They shall call you the city of the Lord. The Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Whereas you have been forsaken and hated with no one passing through. I will make you majestic forever. A joy from age to age. You shall suck the milk of the nations. You shall nurse at the breast of kings. And you shall know that I, the Lord, am your savior and your redeemer, the mighty one of Jacob. In verse 8, the camera pans outward to the seashore. Where there are white ship sails, like clouds, like doves, flocking to the light of this city raised up. The coastlands and the ships of Tarshish arrive to add to the family of God. Bringing silver and gold as offerings in verse 9. These are the same coastlands that have persecuted God's people and experienced God's judgment over and over and over again. But in Isaiah 23:, in Isaiah 23:1, it began with a prophecy of God's judgment on the nations. It began, Wail, O ships of Tarshish, for tyre is lazed, laid waste." Without house or harbor. But now. After God's redeemer. Purifies his people. Making them beautiful. And lifting them up. These same ships come. To join the family. Of God. Bringing the children of Israel. From afar. This is only possible. Because God has redeemed. His people. Making them. Beautiful he bought them back from their sin Verse 10 says for in my wrath I struck you but in my favor. I had mercy on you We read about this last week This is the result of the arrival of God's chosen conqueror Jesus Christ He brings both judgment and redemption wrath and mercy And this is still true here in verse 12. We see this same wrath. It's clear to all of the nations at this point that they are under God's judgment. But he has lifted up Israel as an example of what his redemption looks like. The choice is clear. Side with God's chosen people. Come into their city and experience salvation. Be redeemed or face the destruction as payment for your sin. And in this reversal, God's people who have lived under constant oppression and threat of war are finally at peace. God has accomplished for them by shining his glory on them what has never been true in their history They are secure. We read the covenant last week in Isaiah 59 21 that Isaiah made with his conqueror. Yahweh promised that his spirit and his word would never depart from the conqueror or from his offspring or his children's offspring from this time forth and forevermore. God's people can finally rest in the full confidence that they will never be rejected by God. His conqueror, servant, and king has paid the price. And so verse 11 promises that their gates will be open continually, day and night, so that people may bring the wealth of the nations. What a new reality. Remember how Israel found themselves in exile in Babylon in the first place? In Isaiah 39, King Hezekiah shows off Israel's riches to the visiting envoys of Babylon. And in Isaiah 39, 6, Isaiah says to Hezekiah, Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried off to Babylon. Nothing shall be left says the Lord. But God reverses this fate. Now Israel prepares to be rescued from the Babylonian exile and God speaks again through Isaiah saying, where you have been forsaken and hated with no one passing through, I will make you majestic forever. A joy from age to age. God is bringing back not just the wealth that he took away to Babylon, but the wealth of all of the nations. Because now God's people are purified and they can all worship him together. All of the peoples will flock to her because in her they see Yahweh. And the nations bring their gold and their cypress and their pine to Israel because God will use it to make his home beautiful. Verse 13, to beautify the place of my sanctuary. And I will make the place of my feet glorious. And in verse 16, you shall know that I, the Lord, am your savior and your redeemer, the mighty one of Jacob. Not just all of the nations come, but Israel herself knows God. And we know God through Israel because he has redeemed her and shown his light on her. And friends, this is the picture of our future, of the church that Jesus Christ bought and paid for and redeemed it's the church of Jesus Christ that accomplishes this for the world. So what does this mean for us? Join in the worship of Yahweh. Sing for joy, songs and praises. Bring offerings of righteousness to his altar. If you've given Jesus Christ dominion over your heart, then he has promised That his home is within you. Allow him to make his sanctuary beautiful. Give up your self-service and turn to the service of him. For me, this means joyfully giving of my time. Even when I feel like I deserve a break. It means resisting the urge to get defensive when I feel like I'm being misunderstood. It also means supporting my wife in seemingly mundane ways so that she can serve in the missions team and in building relationships with our neighbors, the areas where God has particularly called her to serve him. I serve him through serving her. Another application is to run to God's family. If you have not allowed God to conquer your heart, if you still sit on the throne of your own heart, take a good look at the glorious work that he is doing and run to him. God judges all, but he is faithful to redeem those who trust in his Appointed king and servant and conqueror. You don't have to have it all together. Bring with you all of your weakness and your insecurity. Allow God to use them. To show his glory through you. Whether you recognize it or not. You have been made to bring God glory. And all of that junk. Just makes him more glorious. And so finally, we conclude this passage with a last look at what the fully glorified, recreated Israel looks like. We see the city of God in a state it was meant to be in from the beginning. We see a vision of Yahweh keeping his promise to his people. And I hope... That this vision will give you hope as it must have for the Israelites as they prepared to be freed from exile. And I hope that it gives you strength to turn from your own way and embrace God as we look at the holy city of Yahweh. Read verses 17 through 22. Instead of bronze, I will bring gold, and instead of iron, I will bring silver, instead of wood, bronze, instead of stones, iron. I will make your overseers peace, and your taskmasters righteousness. Violence shall no more be heard in your lands, devastation or destruction within your borders. You shall call your walls salvation, and your gates praise. The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light. But the Lord Yahweh will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. You shall no more go; da- your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. Your people shall be righteous. They shall possess the land forever. The branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I might be glorified. The least one shall become a clan, and the smallest one, a mighty nation. I am Yahweh. In its time, I will hasten it. In verse 17, God exceeds every level as he creates his holy city. We see what God brings to his city. The nations brought their wealth and their sacrifices have been accepted, but now Yahweh himself is the greatest contributor. He levels up everything. Everything. Bronze becomes gold. Iron becomes silver. Wood becomes bronze. And stones become iron. It is beautiful. But even more beautiful is that God levels up his people's hearts. Where before they were slaves to their own wicked desires, now their overseer is peace. And their taskmaster Is righteousness. Verse 18. Where their walls and their gates. Were defenses. Keeping out violence and devastation. And destruction. Now. Entering into their walls. Is entering salvation. And friends. You enter through the gates. Of praise. As God recreates his city. Even light itself. Is upgraded. In verses 19 and 20. And lastly, in verse 21, we see the explicit completion of God's promise to Abraham to sanctify his people, to make them holy, and to give them the land. How does he do it? This is beautiful, this is glorious. How do we get from where we are in this story to this beautiful picture? Friends, it's through Jesus Christ. It's through what Jesus Christ accomplished. As he said, it is finished. Hanging on the cross. By his obedience to his father, he paid the price of redemption that mankind could be with the Father. His righteousness can become our righteousness and we can be made into the beautiful dwelling place for His Spirit and wait eagerly for Him to return to bring His holy city. Jesus Christ, who died as the Lamb, sacrificed for our sins, has opened the way. In Revelations 2-10, through There is a vision of God's holy throne room and the prophet is weeping because there is no one in heaven or earth or under the earth who is worthy to accomplish this. But then he sees the lamb. The lamb standing as though it were slain. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. The story continues in Revelation 21. Which says in verses 9 through 11. Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Verses 22 and 27. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God has given it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day. And there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it. Nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. But only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. It is only through the Lamb, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins... That this is brought about. This is the family and the city that Yahweh has built and that Jesus Christ has populated by his own blood. I said that today's text wasn't about a wedding, that it was about a city. That isn't completely true. Isaiah 60 is about a wedding the wedding of a city to a lamb. The Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, and his people, his bride, his church. Friends, we are a part of the offspring of Israel that have come from the foreign nations. Brought by the sacrifice of Christ to join in the worship of Yahweh. And there is absolutely nothing as glorious and beautiful as what Jesus did for us. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for what you did for me. Thank you that your son has made me a part of this beautiful picture. That you, God, loved me enough that you would send your son to die, to pay the price, to accomplish your will in the entire world. God, help us to remember this as we go forth this week to know that this is our home. This is what we are looking forward to as we interact with this world that is still so dark that we can look to your son Jesus shining over us, over your church, that we can be part of your holy purpose. God, bless us today. Bless us for all of our lives. Not that we would have wealth and riches, but that we would have purpose in bringing others to you, God. And that in our blessings and in our suffering, we would be faithful to point to you. Thank you, God, for your wisdom in all of this. Amen.